and welcome. Hope you're doing well. This evening, we're going to grapple with an interesting topic that is relevant to this time of year in the Jewish calendar. We are in the time known as Sfiris HaOmer, the counting of the Omer, which is counting of the days from Pesach until Shavuos. Pesach, the, the exodus from Egypt, and Shavuos, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. When the Israelites left Egypt, it was only 50 days later that they stood at Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. And every year we count those 50 days and count up to the festival of Shavuos. During this time, this, this time period, there are certain restrictions that we have, certain things we're not allowed to do. One of them is to have weddings, that we don't have weddings at this, at this time period, even if it were in normal circumstances where we'd be able to move around and invite people over, there would not be weddings during this season. Uh, we have a, a minor type of mourning period during this time. It's customary not to take haircuts uh, during this time and uh, to have celebrations with, uh, with music. And the reason for that mourning, the reason given, is one that is a little bit puzzling. We're told that the reason why we are in a, a semi-morning state in the weeks between Pesach and Shavuos is because of an event that happened some almost 2,000 years ago. Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva, the teacher of the generation in around the first century, he had 24,000 students that he had taught Torah to that were spread throughout the land of Israel. And they were struck by a plague. During the weeks between Pesach and Shavuos, a plague hit the students of Rabbi Akiva. We don't know exactly what the uh, nature of that plague was, but they were hit by a terrible plague that killed them all. 24,000 students, 12,000 pairs that used to study together in pairs, 24,000 students died within the space of a few weeks. This is obvi was obviously a terrible tragedy and completely devastating for them, for their families, for the entire Jewish people, just to see 24,000 people die within a few weeks. And we are in mourning till now, during this time, as a result of that. We, we withdraw a little bit from, from joy and, and celebration during this time because of the death of those 24,000 students. We're told specifically why this plague hit those students. And that is the Talmud records because there was a certain flaw that was common to all of them. And that was that a lack of honor. They did not honor each other. They didn't, didn't treat each other with respect. And because they were disrespectful to each other, that is what brought about this plague that wiped them out. And so, until this day, 1800 or so years later, we still do not have weddings, we don't have haircuts, we don't have celebrations during the time of the death of these students. There are many questions that this idea bring, uh, brings up, and there are many, many things that we need to understand about that story. I mean, there have been many tragedies, sadly, of the Jewish people throughout our history. There have been many times when people have died, sometimes in the hundreds, sometimes in the thousands. We don't have a commemoration for every single one of those tragedies throughout our history. And so why is it that we all, the entire Jewish people, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, all streams of Judaism 
have this Omer period where we commemorate the death of the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva. We're not belittling the magnitude of that tragedy, but there have been other tragedies that have been perhaps bigger, and we don't have a commemoration for it that is so across the board. You can get married in, in, in all types of times of the year, but this time of the year we can't get married, we can't have weddings, we can't have those celebrations because of these students dying. It seems to be quite uh, an exaggerated response to what was indeed a tragedy, but sadly one of many in our history. Why do we emphasize this one so much? Why, why do we take this one so seriously? Also, we need to uh, analyze what are we saying here that they all died because they didn't respect each other? Like, how, how big a, a sin are we talking about they didn't respect? They, they, they were killing each other? They were, they were beating each other up? What are, we, what are we saying that as a result of them not respecting each other, they were punished with a plague that they all died, all, all 24,000 of them, without exception? None of them, none of them were, were, were decent? None of them were nice and polite to each other? They were all so, so rude to each other? That seems to be a little bit uh, extreme. And so we, we, need to, we need to analyze this, this story a bit closer and come to a bit of an understanding of it. Uh, and, and to see also what does it mean for us today? How is it relevant to us today? How, what, what are we supposed to take from the story of Rabbi Kiva and his students? So what I want to do is look at it on a, on a deeper level, on a more mystical level. And through doing that, we're going to, we're going to see uh, that this story actually is very pertinent, very relevant and very personal to us. We, we can take a lot from it. Uh, I want to share with you a few a few angles. First of all, to clarify that we often find in Torah discussions that somebody has done a sin of some description and they're punished very harshly. This only happens to very righteous people, people on a very high level. Rabbi Kiva's students must have been on a very high level to have such a punishment because we know plenty of people who are disrespectful to each other who are not very nice to each other, who are downright rude and horrible, and they don't drop dead from a plague. And so the fact that all 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiva did must mean they're actually on a very high level. There must be something quite uh, spiritual, energetic, and holy about them that they specifically were afflicted by this plague. So let's not belittle them. Let's not push them as being some horrible bunch of people. They must be not on a very high level to be punished so, so emphatically. Uh, another interesting thing to note is that one of the teachings of the Arizal, the Rabbi the great Kabbalist, he explains that we have it a little bit backwards. We usually say that the mourning that we observe during this time, that we withdraw from, from joy and celebration, is because of the death of the students of Rabbi Kiva. The Arizal said it's actually the other way around. The students of Rabbi Kiva died at this time because this time is a time of withdrawal of harshness. Let me explain. The Arizal says that different times of the year have different energies, different moods. The, the Jewish calendar, its months, the festivals of the year, and the, and the, and the different uh, portions of, of, the, of the year, each one has, has its own particular energy. The energy of this time, the time between Pesach and Shavuos, is a time of harsh introspection, close self-judgment, and intense self-improvement. 
because to prepare for receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, you had to be on the level. When the Israelites left Egypt, they were on a lowly level of impurity. They'd sunk very low. To prepare to stand at Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, they had to improve themselves. They had to work on themselves. They had to purify their personalities in order to be worthy of the great revelation at Mount Sinai. And we, every single year, repeat that. We leave Egypt in Pesach. We, we go into a state of freedom, go out of our slavery. For Shavuos, we're going to stand in front of God at Mount Sinai. We're going to receive a new revelation. All of us, every year, this year too. But in between, you have to prepare yourself and be introspective. Look carefully at your, at your behavior, at your actions. And it is a time of close judgment, of self-judgment and of judgment from above. And so the Arizal says, because it's a time of such introspection and self-judgment, little stains on your personality come to the fore at this time. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you may, that the, the weaknesses of your character, it's at this time of year that they bubble to the surface and they have to be dealt with. It's, it's always good when your weaknesses come to the surface. When they're beneath the surface, when they're mixed in with the rest of your personality, they're hard to identify and to deal with. But when they come to the surface, when it comes to the fore, you can deal with it. You know, when, when you've got an, an underlying issue, let's say in a relationship, where there's, there's some issue that's unspoken. You're upset about something, but you're not talking about it. Maybe you yourself are not quite sure what you're upset about, but then things come to a head. Something happens that brings it to the fore and you spit it out and you give out all of your frustration. It's, it's a tense moment, but now we know what we're dealing with. Now we know what we have to fix. Now we know what to work with. This time of year is a time when our inner negativity comes to the surface because we're being closely judged. We're, we're, we're trying to prepare ourselves, to purify ourselves for the giving of the Torah. For that reason, Arizal says, because it's a time of harsh judgment, the students of Rabbi Kiva had a flaw in their personalities, in their characters. There was something wrong. There was something they were doing that was wrong. At this time, it became apparent. It came to the surface and it had to be dealt with. All their negativity came up. And because they were on such a holy and high level, that negativity, as subtle as it may be, and we'll see how subtle it really was soon, it had to be cleansed and for them the cleansing was through actually a, a plague let's look more closely at what their actual sin was there, there's a a question that's asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe asked this question in in his talks how could it be that the, the students of Rabbi Akiva should fall for such a terrible sin of being disrespectful to each other we know that Rabbi Kiva himself was the paragon of brotherly love. He's the one who said that love your fellow as yourself is the most important rule of the Torah. Rabbi Kiva said that. He was the one who taught that this is the central rule of the Torah. So how could it be that the students of Rabbi Kiva, who studied under him, who received his influence, his inspiration, his direction, how could they treat each other disrespectfully? If he's the one who says, love your fellow as yourself. How could they fall for such a sin, to such an extreme? And all of them, all 24,000 of them, how could that be? So I'll give you two angles to answer that question in a fascinating way that's going to be very uh, personal for all of us. The Rebbe answered it by saying that they loved each other extremely. They loved each other to a great extreme. 
in fact so much that they couldn't tolerate each other's differences. When I love you to an absolute extreme, I want you to have everything. I want to give you everything, including my opinion, including my way of seeing things. I want to release you from the false thoughts that you have, from the misunderstandings and the misapprehensions that you have. I want you to have everything, including the wisdom that I have. I love you so much that I smother you with my wisdom, with my thoughts, with my opinion. I can't let you go around ignorant like you are and thinking like you are. I have to, I have to share with you my way of thinking. We all know people like this, and it might be yourself some of the time, where out of love for another person, you smother them, you overwhelm them, you, you overcome them with all of your, your own thoughts and your own opinions. It's nice, but it's not really the way to love. The real way to love is to allow another person to see it their way and to embrace that as well. Because maybe they have something that you don't have. Maybe they have an insight or an, a, a, a way of thinking that you didn't think of. And so Rabbi Kiva's students who were such extreme lovers, they loved each other so much, couldn't tolerate the other one not thinking like they did. And so their love was the cause of their lack of respect for each other. That's how the Rebbe explained it. And another angle on this, a similar, similar idea but slightly different wording, is from the Shem Mishmul, one of the great Hasidic masters of Sochachov of Poland. He says the following, and it's, it's a similar idea, just putting it in different words. He says that, what does it mean to respect somebody? What does respect actually mean? The idea of respect is that I recognize that there is something that you contribute that I cannot contribute. There are things that you offer to the world that I cannot offer. And so I'm not putting myself down. I, I recognize that I have things to contribute to the world. Of course I do. But so do you. You have, And your contr contribution is unique. I can't contribute it. Why? Because I'm not you. Because you're you. You have your experiences which are unique. You have your personality which you were given. You have your talents and, and your particular flair, your, your angle. I don't have that. And so because we're separate entities, I, I respect you as having a different idea to me. One that the world needs. You, we need your contrib contribution. Mine's not enough. That is respect. Interestingly, respect demands separateness. To respect a person, you need to sense their separateness. They're, they're not you. Rabbi Kiva's students didn't get that. They had total unity. They were so one. They, they felt such a, such a united sense with each other out of love. They loved each other so much to the point where they didn't recognize individuality. They didn't look at each other as separate beings. And if, if you're not separate, so then I can't respect you. Think about that for a minute. This, this failing in their personality was actually due to their unbelievably beautiful personalities. 
they were they they felt such oneness and togetherness with each other that they didn't look at each other as individuals and that made it impossible for them to respect each other because i can't respect somebody for a separate contribution when they're me you're me and i'm you we're all one so we, you don't have a separate contribution because we're all one it sounds so nice and then suddenly it's not so nice isn't that fascinating that could could, could we be doing this you know we're talking about rabbi kiva's students thousands of years ago am i doing this to the people around me am i feeling so much love and so much oneness with them that that oneness is actually it's tending towards seeing them as an extension of me not as a separate entity and therefore they don't actually have an opinion they only have what i in my mind want them to say or want them to think or expect them to play their role in in my play in in my show and therefore if if i'm in that state the problem is i'm not going to realize this that i'm in this state because i'm only going to hear the other person say what i've decided they should be saying and and when they step out of line when they don't play the role that i want them to play i'm gonna get really upset and and flip out what are you doing you you didn't read the script my script that, that you're supposed to be reading are we doing this yeah let's be honest we are we're doing it all the time so what does what does that mean we shouldn't have unity and love we shouldn't feel this 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 oneness with the people around us well of course unity and love is necessary rabbi kiva said this is the big rule of the torah his students took him very literally the big rule of the torah is to love your fellow as yourself to love your fellow as yourself they understood it to the extreme as meaning you're just you're just myself but along with that love has to come respect honor has to come a, a sense that actually as much as i love you and that we are one you're still you and i'm still me we're parts of a whole but each part contributes something different to that whole each part has its own part to play in that whole which is separate and different and therefore honorable respectable I can give you room to be you with your opinion and it can be different to mine and that'll be okay because we need those different opinions it's like uh, a body when you have one body has a head and has feet and has hands we have different parts of our body it's all one body it's one person but each part of the body plays its different distinct and separate role if those roles became blurred so then you would not be a functioning person yeah if your if your feet tried to think or your head tried to walk you'd be a mess you wouldn't be a functioning person the head has to honor the feet that the feet are doing its job well you do what you do well and and the feet have to realize that the head is doing the thinking and honor it do not blur those lines if the body's not working as one uh, 
So then you're all over the place. You, you cannot function. But if the body's all working as one entity, meaning all trying to do the same role, the same thing, not res respecting the, the differences, so then you can't function either. So too, our unity, our oneness, when you're trying to create a, a, a team, a family, a community, a, a, a world that is, that is all one, oneness means singularity of purpose. We, we all have a higher goal that we share. We all want the same thing. We have a, a, a shared vision. But we each play a different role in creating that vision. Every person has to, has to do their part. This is nice and poetic. When it gets difficult is in the practicalities, the daily practicalities. I'm sure each one of us can think of a conversation that we have had maybe within the last 24 hours, maybe less, maybe a little bit more, with a loved one, with somebody close to us, where we, we saw things differently. And instead of appreciating that, we tried to correct it. We tried to, to convince the other that you just got it wrong. Just listen to me so you get it right. Sometimes we're right. Sometimes not. But we'll always be better off by hearing the other viewpoint for what it is. Even if you're right. Uh, you know how different it is when somebody has listened to you. And then you could still argue the point. But if somebody has actually listened to you and taken your point seriously, so then you have been heard, validated, and actually you contribute to, to the final uh, conclusion. You know, in, in, the, in Talmudic literature, there's a lot of debating between the different rabbis. And they each say their opinion strongly, vehemently, and then come to a conclusion. Now, many people who study Talmud say, why do we need to hear all these opinions? Let's just hear the conclusion. Why do we need to hear all these various different opinions? The answer is because a conclusion that comes as a result of different opinions is a much stronger conclusion than one where you didn't hear the opinions in the first place. When you hear an argument, a counter-argument, and then a resolution that one side wins the argument, it's not you win the argument at the expense of the other, it's that you win the argument with the, the counter-argument of the other, you have, you've, you've prevailed, you've gone through, you've analyzed your opinion, having been questioned by the other one's opinion, so you have a deeper resolution, you're, you're, you're even more sure of your opinion now because you've had the counter-argument. And so, therefore, both sides have contributed to the conclusion. So, so too, in, in, a, in a, a business setting, in a family setting, in a community setting, having different opinions, one opinion may have to be what we follow at, in the end. We can only go one way sometimes and, and not the other. Sometimes we do have to make a decision. But if all opinions are heard, are honored, are respected, then the conclusion includes that opinion, even the counter-opinion. It's a part of the process. And so therefore, we're all in it together. We're all getting there together. Apart from the fact that sometimes you don't have to decide one opinion over the other. Sometimes each one contributes to a bigger picture, a greater picture. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's, let's now take this back to the students of Rabbi Kiva. It was a time of harsh judgment between Pesach and Shavuos. It's a time when we're being introspective and every single detail of our personality counts. If you're on a very high level, so then even a small stain on your personality will be big, will be exaggerated. 
the students of Rabbi Kiva were on that level. But there was a big flaw in their thinking, and that was that they didn't have the respect to honor another person as a separate being, as a separate entity. They saw each other as, as one, they were united, but they didn't see the, the, separate, the value of the separateness of each other. And so this time of year is the time when we, when we look at this carefully in ourselves and we question ourselves, am I honoring the people around me? Loving is, is, is another thing. Being one with them is another thing. Honoring them, letting them be a separate person. That, that is my focus. That, that is what, what I have to be about right now. Uh, it's interesting that there is the value of togetherness and unity. There's the value of individuality and separateness. There, there's a power in being together and one. The power of the group where you lose your individuality. Then there's the power of the separateness of each individual saying their voice, contributing their thing. And these t two energies need to be balanced. And there are different times when we emphasize different different aspects. The, the three months at this time of year, Nisan, when we celebrate Pesach, Iyar, which we're in now, which is focused on the Omer period, and then Sivan, which is when we receive the Torah, these three months have three different energies about them. There's the energy of Nisan, when we went free from Egypt, there's the energy of the Omer period of ER, where we're analyzing ourselves. And then there's the energy of Sivan, where we receive the Torah. In the uh, zodiac signs of these three months, we find something interesting. Now, zodiac does have a basis in Torah. The, there, there are Kabbalistic works that go through the months and align them with the various zodiacal signs. And particularly, if you look at any map, if you look in the Daily Telegraph or any of these uh, uh, junky, you know, zodiac, you know, horoscope things, the way the months line up don't work in the English months. It's not like the month. The month uh, the, the, of May is not a zodiac sign. It's it's between you know towards the end of May and the end of. Uh, of However, it works. Each 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 one doesn't actually fit into the the months that we have, but they do fit into the Jewish months. That every month has its own sign, and so the month of Nisan, the first month from of the Exodus from Egypt, is the month of Aries, of the sheep. The month of Iyar, is the month of Taurus, the ox. And the month of Sivan, the month of the giving of the Torah, is the month of Gemini, twins. Those three entities, a sheep, an ox, and twins, are interesting. A sheep is a follower of a herd. Like you call someone who's like a, like a, follows like a sheep, they, they stick together as a group. And... So the month of Nisan is when we were collectively redeemed as a people. We became a people, a nation. Our, our collective identity was built in the month of Nisan, the exodus from Egypt, like the sheep that is a part of a herd. In the month of Iyar, the month of the ox, an ox is strong and self-expressive. Uh, it, ha it has its, its own way. And so the month of Iyar is when we look at, it, at ourselves as individuals, 
as a part of the whole, but as an individual. Who am I myself? What do I need to fix myself? Uh, what, what's my particular weakness in my personality? How can I honor another person as a separate individual to me? Not as the oneness of Pesach when we're all in it together as, as a nation being redeemed, but as an individual looking at myself and respecting the other as myself, as an individual, as a, as a separate being, like the ox. And then we reach the month of Sivan, the giving of the Torah, which is where we combine the two energies. That at the giving of the Torah, every single Jew, man, woman, child was there. Every soul from all generations, yours and mine and all generations, we were all there at Mount Sinai. The Torah could not be given if anyone was missing. We had to all be there. A big group, a united group, a, a, soul, a soul family. But every individual made up that family. And every individual heard the voice of God speaking to them personally. The Ten Commandments are in singular. I'm the Lord, your God, personally, your God, speaking to you as, a, as an individual. The, the power of both, of being a part of a big picture, part of a great nation, a part of a big family, but as an individual, your part that you play. And therefore, the, the sign of the month of Sivan is Gemini's twins. What are twins? Twins are two individuals who look exactly alike. They're, they're individuals. They're, 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 they're totally uh, their own character, their own being, their own soul. Anyone who knows identical twins knows that as similar as they may look, they have completely different souls and, and a different thing to bring to the world. They are individuals, but they look exactly the same. You can see they're a, a unit, they're a team, but they're two individuals. And the, that's the power of... of both energies of the separateness and the togetherness of my individual contribution as well as my being as a, a part of the whole. And so that, that is what this time is, is leading us to. From the collectiveness of Nisan, the exodus from Egypt where we all left together as one, to the individual self-analysis of the month of Iyar where we look at ourselves and we honor each other. And then finally, the month of Sivan, the giving of the Torah, where our individuality and our unity come together as one. Our love and our respect coexist. I love you and you're a part of me, and I respect you because you're separate from me. And we, and we can have both. Isn't, isn't that amazing? And as a, as a final thought, the Talmud, when describing the sin of the students of Rabbi Kiva, it says that they didn't respect each other. The, the wording that is used is Lo nagu kovid They didn't give covid to each other. Covid is honor, respect. But that word covid has taken on a whole new meaning for us now. Lo nagu kovid That it's all about covid. Now this time is all about covid, about realizing the individual contribution that every single person can can bring to the whole of the Jewish people. That there can be one person sitting by themselves, keeping Shabbos, saying their morning prayers all alone. And they should know that the covered, the honor, the respect that they are deserving of, because you, your contribution to the world is irreplaceable. There may be millions of other people out there, but without you, the world is missing. It needs you. And so this is the COVID, this is the honor that we should give every single person, everyone you know. There is something that every person in the world contributes that nobody else can contribute. 
that is deserving of honor of covered if we give that covered we will certainly bring the healing to the world uh, blessing to the world and only good we'll be able to stand it at the giving of the torah in a couple of weeks at, at shavuos so the giving of the torah and receive the great revelation of god as a massive big family of amazing individuals god bless and have a good night